How good is it to be back in the building? Ah, it's nice. (laughs) I wonder if you've ever been given something that you you didn't earn. It's probably more than a more than like a birthday present or a Christmas present. Like you, you, hopefully you can expect something at those events. But I mean, can you have you ever been given something you didn't actually earn or deserve? To give you an idea, I remember when I was probably the age of some of these guys over here. So we've got some kids in the room. Yeah, like maybe a bit younger. So I'm, I'm thinking probably about seven years old. So if you're around seven-ish, you've got to tune into this because this is a cool story. So I'm about seven years old and I'm walking down the street with my, my father, with my dad, and on the ground I find $20. Like, just to give you context, as a seven-year-old... Back then, like to convert that to today's money, $20 as a 70-year-old is worth about the same as $7 million today. Like, like, wow, I used to get 20 cents a week pocket money. So 20 bucks is like, what? I couldn't even comprehend how much money that was. And so I'm this 70-year-old me and my dad's there and dad goes, oh, that's somebody's money. But they've lost that you probably should take that to the police station. I remember I wasn't quite as excited about that bit, but, so, but we did. We took it to the police station and the police officer took down all the details, where we found it and when we found it and where it was and how much it was, who found it and all that sort of stuff. A few months go by, we get a, a phone call from the police station. You ever notice that that's, that doesn't work for our, gen, our generation? Now they get a phone call that's like this because that's how you hold your phone nowadays. Anyway, that's a new one. Um, but... It's old school. So we got a phone call and, and I went to the police station. The police officer said, look, no one's collected this. And so I'm going to, now it's yours. And they handed me an envelope with all the details written on it. I remember opening up and there's the $20. I remember the, the police officer saying, hey, good on you for being honest and for handing it in and doing all the right thing. I remember I was so excited. And on the way back, my dad said to me, well, God's given you that, hasn't he? I'm like, yeah, yeah, 20 bucks. It was, it was actually sort of made of paper. It's weird. You know, like we don't think now they're made of plastic. Actually, they're made of phones now. That's how you pay for stuff. But back then, it was sort of a paper material. I remember holding it going, oh, 20 bucks. And Dad goes, well, you know, God's given that to you. You need to give some of that back to God. I'm like, oh, yeah. And, and my dad said, well, we'll generally give 10%. I'm like, okay, so 10% is two bucks. So I went home and found all of my 20-cent coins, which I'd been tithing as well. So now the 20-cent coin had one and two-cent coins. This is a long time ago. Five-cent coins, 10-cent coins, and I'm scrounging around. I didn't have enough. I had to take a loan off my parents to get the $2 because I didn't want to break the $20 note. It was like something about having the full note in my hand. And so... That Sunday comes around and, and the offering, it was a wooden offering bowl that went around at the church I was at, and it went past it and I had this whole handful of shrapnel, this handful of coins, and I remember putting it in, and I remember there was an emotion as I put that money in the bowl of nothing but like, God, you have blessed me with this $20, this is, this is nothing compared to what you have given me, but I'm so thankful. There was like a thankful heart as I put that that wad of coins in the plate. You know, made lots of noise and everything, which also made me feel pretty good. But as a little kid, seven-year-old, I know that's not what the Bible says. You should be prized. But I was seven years old, so give me a little bit of a a break. (laughs) But I remember putting that in going, wow, look what God has given me. There was something about that attitude 
that I want to sort of speak about to us as adults because we can lose that. Today I want us to to realize that it's actually a blessing to be able to bless others. God has given us so much. It may not be that seven-year-old's experience of $7 million, that, that $20 note, but God has given us so much. And we're living in a society where rather than giving, it's all about receiving. We live in a culture where it's all about me. It's all about us. And if we don't do something about that, we're going to turn into a second, third, fourth generation society that's always inward focusing rather than living the way God designed us to be where we're giving and blessing because God first blessed us with his son. Today I want to speak about that and what the Bible has to say about how we can use what God has given us to bless others. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would speak to us really clearly, that you would help us to have those experiences of gratitude so that what we give doesn't matter about what we're giving, but it actually matters about what we have received from you. Lord, I pray today as we open up scripture that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear with open hearts of thankfulness of what you have done for us so that we may live obedient to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verse 41 to 44 is our, one of our key passages today. There's a few scriptures that we're reading, um, one from Mark, a couple from the Corinthians passages. And um, we're going to bounce a little bit of Old Testament in there as well. But if you've got your Bibles with you, it will be up on the screen. Mark chapter 12, verse 20, uh, 41 to 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where offerings were put and watched the crowd put their money into the temple treasury. Rich people threw in large amounts of money. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins with only a few cents. Calling on his disciples, as Jesus did, is always training up. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave of their, out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. I wonder what Jesus was counting when he made that statement? Was he counting the financial amount? Or was he looking at something else? Was he looking at maybe an attitude, a heart condition? You see, so often when we start talking about finances, something happens with our hearts. As soon as I say that, you know, today's message, we're going to be talking about money. Maybe you felt like, ooh, yeah. Don't feel comfortable about that. There's, there's maybe something that, that pops up over your heart. Maybe there's something that's like, oh, I don't feel, what, what does that mean? What does that look like? Maybe if you've if you got your partner there, you're giving them a nudge because she's going, oh, I don't know what to do. Yeah? If you've got a little baby, have you ever done that where you want to leave a room and you gently squeeze the baby and they, oh, they made a noise, they've got to go. Not that we would ever do that, but... 
I'm looking at, yeah, I can see, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say names because it's all on video. But <laughs> really well behaved kids today, can I just say. We've got kids in the room, which we usually don't because they're out at the kids program. We love that we can teach kids where they're at. Um, but you guys are doing a great job. I know it's a bit boring when I'm talking, but you guys are doing a great job. See, the, the thing that Jesus continually is going to teach about and we're going to read about in the New Testament, it's actually about a heart condition. It's not about the money. It's not about the, the amount. It's actually about the attitude. You see, what started to happen in the, the Old Testament, it repeated so many times. We see even Jesus talking about this in the New Testament, is when we start to put conditions on how much we give, we lose the, the heart. For, for example... The idea of the Old Testament version of giving, which was known as tithing, tithing means 10%. We, we, we see it time and time again in the Old Testament where it's blown out of context where people would start to tithe their 10% of their money or their crop or their animals or whatever it was that they were giving and they would start going, well, 10% is 10%. So here's the, here's the sick sheep. 10%, yeah, here's the sick one, I've still got my nine. Or here's the one that's not as healthy, or here's the, the grain that's been sitting for a couple of years, you can have that. Rather than actually showing God that your, your heart's for him. See, the problem is, is when you start taking the legalistic view, you lose the heart. For example, if I was to say that if 10% is God's, does that mean the 90% is yours? Let's step outside just for a moment of, of finances. As a speak to the guys in the room or the, that are watching at home, blokes, if, if, you're, if you come to church on a Sunday and you put on your, your nicer clothes and you, you turn up and you, you, you're nice and friendly with everyone and you, you, you watch your language and you, you know, you, you, you're being polite and then you, you get home Sunday afternoon, you, you're going to watch footy with the boys and all of a sudden you, your team's not going so well, especially if you're barracking for Hawthorne, except for we did get a win, which is nice, but... But, you know, your footy team's not doing so well and all of a sudden the language starts coming out because you're frustrated. Then you go to work and things aren't working there or, or you, you just get a bit greedy so you start cutting corners and then you, your home life's not really good. You're not really investing in your kids like you should and it's just like, ah, oh, but, you know, you, and your priorities are a bit all over the shop. But on Sunday, you do a great job. 10% gods, does that mean the other 90%? You can do whatever you want. Or are we actually designed to be all for God? And is God looking for a condition of our heart in this? You see, it actually comes down to this idea of religion versus relationship. We heard last week about the idea of, of Sabbath. How hard was that message to hear? Like, whoa. I think that the part that's still grates with me, and I love your your um, analogy of going against the grain, the splinters you get, is that you know, in, in our Christian world, we um, have been celebrating and honouring those that break one of the Ten Commandments, those that work the seven-day week, those that do the huge hours, those that never stop. Even, even in ministry, we celebrate those that just go, 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 go. Um, and interestingly enough, there's more burnt-out pastors than there are churches in our country. 13,000 churches, more than 13,000 burnout pastors. That means that they've left ministry because they were broken through the job. 
It's crazy. Maybe that's because we celebrated breaking the Ten Commandments. Maybe. Just throwing it out there. But what the, the re- one of the things Andrew spoke about last week was this idea of the, the rules, the, the rules upon rules and the, the upon rules upon rules and how they, they subdefined sort of this legalistic way of living rather than God just saying, oh, you know, Sabbath was made for us, not us for the Sabbath. Like, like oh, you've, you've lost the heart. And when it comes to our finances, when it comes to our gifts and our talents and our times and the things that we give to God or give to people, it's actually about a relationship, not just the religious practices. For example, if we read the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, and this is talking about finances, Paul writes, For if the willingness is there, willingness, not, not just obedience, not... not at a required amount, but if your willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. According to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Don't compare yourself to others. It's not about comparison. If you want to kill a dream, if you want to feel bad about yourself, compare yourself to someone else. If you think you're doing really well, you've got a really nice car, you look at the new car that just came out, you'll feel bad about yourself straight away. If you think you're doing really, really good with your family that day, look at Instagram and see what everybody else is posting around their families. It's like, man, they're so much better looking than ours. Like, you know, kids sitting there with snot coming out their nose. You know, you know, like, that's life. But, you know, Instagram, you know, start comparing yourselves. And, of course, that's a, it's, a, it's a set shot. It's a, they've took a thousand photos to get that one that they posted. You know, it's not reality. When it comes to our finances, don't compare yourself. It's not about comparison. It's, it's just about the willingness that you have to give what God has given you. And if the willingness is there, then the gift is acceptable according to what you've got. Don't compare yourself to others. You see, giving in church is actually a a biblical principle. It's been there from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 14, we see the introduction of tithing, which is the 10% model. And that's all the way through the Old Testament. And most of the passages you'll read about tithing in the Old Testament is to do with this wrestle of religious living, the, the rules and the relationship. It's the rules and the heart. It's, it's, the, it's that wrestle that we see. They get off track and, and they come back in and sort of align them again. You know, don't give the, the leftovers, give the first fruits to God. You know, don't give the, the, the stuff that's going bad because just give showing how appreciative you are of what God has done. We then see in the New Testament that the temple, with the Pharisees were running this, of course. We see Jesus is sitting there, and the whole story that we just read in Mark 12, Jesus is watching as the Jewish people gave at the temple. And then we read in Corinthians, and we'll start at 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 to 4, but we're just going to read 1 to 2 um, now. But, but in that we see there's a model of giving in the Christian church, the, the, the early church that we're attached to. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 to 2, it says, Now about the collection of the Lord's people. Do what I told the, the, the Galatian church to do. It's just all the churches are doing this. On the first day of every week, Sunday, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Your income. Don't compare yourself to others, like we read in 2 Corinthians. Saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. It then goes on in verse 3 and 4 about how it's stewarded and, stewarded and you know, looked after and how it's dealt with. In this passage, what Paul's saying is that 
that what I want you to do is I want you to give out of your understanding and gratitude with God so that when I turn up, I don't need to do a big rally to get money out of you. I just want to turn up and we're going to do the mission that we're here for. I don't want to have to do a big money drive. I'm just going to turn up. We're going to do the mission together. But every other Sunday, when, you, when you're doing it, get together and give because that, that is what we, we do because of what God has done for us. So we see that it's a practice in Scripture. The, the Old Testament was a tithe. The New Testament, giving, we see taking place at the temple. We see that the widow put in, it wasn't about the money. God was looking at the heart. We see, depending on what you've been given, what is willing, your willingness of your heart to give, that's acceptable. But what about Jesus? What did Jesus How did Jesus steward what he was given? Because Jesus didn't do a lot of money, but what he did, what he was given, he he stewarded really well. He cared for. And so we're going to look at a story that Jesus had some resources, and we're going to see what he did with them. But in that, I want us to, to have three questions that we're going to echo through this story, and then I'm going to ask these questions to us as a church. The first one is, what have you got? The second question is, how do you treat it? And the third question is, what do you do with it? What have you got? How do you treat it? What do you do with it? They sound like the same question until you put a topic over the top. For example, Mark chapter 6, we see Jesus has an agenda. He has a goal. He's, he's a mission. He's heading in a direction to do a certain task. What we see in Mark chapter 6 is Jesus is heading off for silence and solitude. Man, we should preach on that sometime. And so Jesus is heading off for silence and solitude to to get some alone time with God. And while he's doing that, a crowd starts to to follow him. His agenda is time with God. What have you got? I got a crowd. How do you treat it? You know, some of us might think, and I know I, I may think this at times, it's like, oh, that's a pain, I wanted to do that. They're, they're, they're annoying, they're frustrating. Ah, oh, you know, different emotions. What have you got? Jesus has a group of people. How do you treat it? What an opportunity. What are you going to do with it? He turns around to that crowd and goes, the kingdom of God is coming. You know, God made you, God has a purpose for you. You know, the kingdom of God is here. And because of that, you have the opportunity to have direct access to God. And because of that, you, you have the opportunity to join his master plan. So you are not a mistake. You have purpose. And God wants a relationship with you. The kingdom of God. Wow. What have you got? A group of people. How are you going to treat it? Opportunity. What are you going to do with it? I'm going to preach the kingdom of God. And Jesus starts preaching and starts preaching and starts preaching. And everyone's so engaged that they don't even get out there on their phones. Like they are so, so into what he's saying. So much so that they get to the end of the day and they're getting hungry. What do you got? Well, nothing. I was going on retreat. Disciples, what have we got? We got nothing. Ask the people, what have we got? A little boy turns up. I got two fish and five little loaves. It's a boy's lunch. It's not loaves. It's loaves. It's a little boy's lunch. What are you gonna, how are you going to treat it? They, they give it to Jesus, and Jesus goes, thank you. 
The first, how does Jesus treat him? He goes, God. He offers it back to God. God, thank you. He realizes this is not my food. I have not earned this. I do not deserve this. I'm going to give it straight back to the one that provided it. God, thank you so much for this food that you've given us. Will you bless it? He takes the bread, he breaks it. He gives it to his disciples to disperse amongst the people. And and as Jesus' agenda was silence and solitude, these groups start to grow and grow and grow to the point where there's 5,000 men that day, plus women and children. We believe there's around 12,000 people. How are you going to treat what you've been given? At the end of that, Jesus goes, well, go and collect the leftovers. You don't leave it because it wasn't his to begin with. It was provided by God. And so go and collect it. One of the scriptural translations says that Jesus' instructions to his disciples was, go and collect the leftovers, every last crumb. The disciples are like, 12,000 people? That's a lot of crumbs. But Jesus wanted to care for what he'd been given. And what I love about this story, and I know this may not be what's in the story, but I love this image at the end of the day. With the disciples, when Jesus said, you know, what do we got? We got nothing. We can't do it. And each disciple is, is sitting there with a basket. There's 12 baskets left over. And every disciple sitting there going, oh, yeah, I see what you did there. What have you got? How do you treat it? What are you going to do with it? If 10% is God's, is the other other 90% is that ours? Like, no, everything is God's. Everything. Every breath that we have is God's. Every gift, every dollar, every, every friendship, every relationship. How are you going to treat it? And what do you do with it? For some of us, this is, you know, I've always given. I've always tithed my, my finances. I've always done that. Should, should I give more? What, what do you mean? What, what, what should I do with that? Well, maybe God might be the God of your finances, but is he the God of your time? Is he the God of your family? Are you honouring him in that area? Is he the God of your workplace? Are you honouring him there? Maybe there's another area of life you need to look at. But I believe there's people in our church that, that haven't actually practised the, the habit and the, the incredible blessing that it is to give to the, to the work of God, either in the church or outside of the church. It doesn't really matter because God doesn't need your money. They haven't experienced it because you've never been taught on it. You've never been challenged on what it is to give to the work of the church. And I've got to say, last year I didn't preach on this because I thought COVID, I, I wussed out, if I'm honest. I don't like preaching on this. I'm going to preach some other stuff. But... Jesus taught on this all the time. And so out of obedience, I've got to teach it because this is what Jesus taught so many times. The rich young ruler, remember that story? A rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what much must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? He goes, well, you obeyed all the commandments. He goes, yep, I've done it all ever since I was a kid. Remember, religion versus relationship. I've done all the stuff. What must I do? Jesus, knowing that he was wealthy, said, well, I want to go home, sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, then you'll come back. I want to see your heart, is what Jesus was saying to him. The rich young ruler goes off discouraged because he can't do it. 
He can't do it. God was not the God of his finances. In total trans, like in total opposite, parallel opposites to this, we see the story of Zacchaeus, a tax collector who's not hasn't done the right thing all of his life, hasn't obeyed the Ten Commandments, has, has pretty much stolen and done all the wrong things all of his life, climbs up this tree to be able to see Jesus, and Jesus singles him out. He goes, I actually love you. I see you, I value you, and I want to have a relationship with you. Zacchaeus comes out of the tree and has a meal with Jesus, and relationship is formed, and everything about the financial part of his life, is he just doesn't care anymore. If I've wronged anyone, I'm going to pay them back four times the amount. I'm I'm going to sell my stuff and give it to the poor. Because all of a sudden, the thing that I was hanging on to and pursuing doesn't matter because I've got relationship once again. If you're in a space where you've never understood what it is to give to God in that way, I want to to give you a a framework, but hear that this is a loose framework because we just read in Scripture, whatever is... You know, your heart condition, whatever you choose, if your heart's in the right spot, it, it is acceptable. The Old Testament talks about 10%. So here that 10% can be a guide, but it's not what Jesus talks about. He doesn't talk about tithing in the New Testament. But as a starting point, to give you an idea, 10% in the Old Testament, or the, the idea of the word tithe, means two things. Um, the, the word tithe can mean challenge or test, and it also can mean completion. But here, that's a loose rule. Anytime you find a number in Scripture, it can mean something until it doesn't. And then it can sort of mess you up if you, if you put all your, your energy in one space. If it changes, then, then the rule, if the rule breaks, then you can get all messed up. So don't hang on to the numbers too much. But follow the analogy, for example. 10% is a great starting point. So I'm going to ask you some questions. How many plagues were there in Egypt? Ten. Well done. Interns. Good job. Man, you guys have been studying well. Um, so that means if there's ten plagues in it, if you don't know the answers, that's fine. Don't, don't feel ashamed or anything. It's just, just playing a bit of a game. So therefore, how many times was Pharaoh tested? Ten. Interns again. You're doing well. How many, on what number plague were the Israelites set free? Ten. Completion. How many commandments are there? Ten. You guys are getting on there. It's good. Um, How many times was Israel tested in the wilderness? Did someone yell out eight? (laughs) Awesome. Um, How many times was Israel tested in the wilderness? Ten. How many times was Daniel tested? Ten. How many days between Jesus' ascension into heaven and Pentecost? Ten. And how many disciples were there? Twelve. It doesn't always work. And that, that, so that's what I mean. Like don't, don't hang everything on it. But with the disciples, one didn't make it. And then we've got GST. So that's 11. So it's okay. So, so here, it doesn't always work. And if you get too hung up on the 10, um, you can lose some, some of the, the focus that Jesus is saying. But I want to say, like, it's, it's, a, it's a great starting point if you're wrestling with it. Yvette and I have always done the 10%. It's what I sort of grew up with. But that's sort of our baseline, and then we we give on top of that to different things. I'm going to share a story about that a little bit later. But don't compare yourself to us. You compare yourself to yourself. You and God have a conversation. God, 
What can I give to you? Where do I give to you? How do I give? What does that look like? I want to do a couple of things really, really intentionally today. One of the things that's really intentional is I'm not going to talk about the church finances. Now, there's times when we do. There's times when I'll stand here and say, we want to employ a staff member. So we need to give X amount of dollars as a church. And we'll aim for that in our tithes because it needs to be ongoing. And we'll reach a target. Or we want to do a building development. There's talk about that and there's still talk and there's, there's plans and work going towards that still. And we need to hit this budget to be able to build this building. We need donations, one-off donations to be able to hit that goal. Now, when we do that, there's emotion and there's purpose for it because there's, there's a person or, or a, a building or something to it. That's not today. Today is simply about being obedient in our rhythm of living. Chances are that your tithe that you give doesn't give to something great. I could get up here and say, every time someone's baptised, it's because you tithe. Well, that's not true. Like, you tithe, it's probably powering that light bulb. Like, in reality, it's probably paying for the bills. You know, people going through the waters of baptism, like, sure, you're contributing, but that's because people have invested their time. They've tithed their, tithed their energy, they've tithed relationship, they've, they've grown up in kids' ministry and, been, and done a heap of work in there. They've probably done 12 years of kids' ministry where kids' leaders have just invested and invested and invested. And then their first year of youth ministry, first year they decide to get baptised. What's that? Seriously, youth leaders, you get it so easy. But here that it's people have blessed others with their time. But how are you going to bless others with your finances, with your money? I want to challenge us as a church to make sure God is the God of your finances. And you can show that in, in the way that maybe your heart's sitting in this conversation, the heart's sitting with the message, the way that you're, you're interpreting the scriptures. A number of years ago, um, there was, in Ballarat, the, the Watoto Christian Choir. You guys have seen Watoto. There's these Ugandan kids who come and do an incredible um, performance gospel message. And these kids had this really um, heartbreaking story where they've come from a really rough start to life. They've been... You know, they're single, they're, they either have a single mum or dad or they have no mum or dad sometimes. They're really sad starts to life. They're, they're, pover- they're in poverty. Um, in some cases, they're, they're, they're dying. And what, come, what happens is this Christian organisation comes in and meets their physical need, gives them some food and some shelter and protection, but also meets the more important need, which is the spiritual need, and, and loves on them and introduces them to Jesus Christ. And then on top of that, then they, they take their, their parents or, or their parent or whoever it is, or they, they give them parents in some scenarios, and they teach them a skill and a trade. Incredible, incredible ministry. But then these kids that have been brought out of terrible circumstances come to all these places all over the world, travel the world, bringing the good news that they've learned of Jesus Christ with others. And, and they share this amazing message. And a part of that message is then they ask people to sponsor them. 
And they do it really well. They're pulling your heartstrings it's like, oh, what a gift. It's so good. And, and I've, been, I've grown up in the church. I've heard hundreds and hundreds of those kind of appeals. But a number of years ago, I was sitting there at one of these Watoto concerts and they're giving this message and God just hit me with something. It was just like, it was like a weight and like an urgency. I need to do something with this. And it wasn't just an emotion because I'd been through that before and and I've wanted to sponsor every single kid in the world and, you know, because he just pulls on your heartstrings. It wasn't, it was more than heart. It was like a spirit thing. And God just hit me with this. I've got to do something about this. And, and I'd been to the, the, the concert twice. I'd been there with um, my wife and kids the, earlier on. And so I'm here in this space going, I need to do something. So I'm standing at the back of the, the facility and I make a call to Yvette. and said, Yvette, I just feel like we've got a sponsor. One of these kids, but I don't know if one's enough. And I remember like, making that phone call, you, you feel the guard going over your heart. Because I know any time I ask a vet if I can spend money on the car, it's like, I know that answer, and so I'm preparing myself for the answer. But what I loved was a vet said, well, why don't we sponsor one kid for each of our kids? So don't sponsor one or two, sponsor three. And I remember, like, in my, hu- my humanity should have said, but that's, that's a commitment. You can't, not, you can't unsponsor a kid. Like, what kind of... That makes you look like rubbish, doesn't it? Like, if you're like man, you'd feel bad unless you fully lost your job and you could, had no other choice. Like, you'd really feel guilty to unsponsor a kid. Like, that's a... Once you're in, you're in. Like, your humanity, like, one kid is okay. You can justify that. But three, that's three times the amount of money. All the humanity stuff that you would usually go through with a transaction like that wasn't there. Because it started off with a Holy Spirit moment, but all of a sudden it was just like, yes, I can do something to impact others. Like, God, I actually have the finances to be able to do this. Wow, what a blessing. I actually remember that I was so in love with these amazing kids, so in love with my God and so in love with my wife for being so generous. That whole passage that you hear at weddings of three strands, a quarter of three strands is not easily broken because it was a vet, myself and God in this moment, in this, this place of echoing the, the Father's heart of a God who gave his son to us, being able to give to others and make a difference. And there's something powerful in that moment. Now, I want to say not every time you give will be like that. I don't sit there thinking it must be Tuesday at four o'clock. My electronic debit's going about to come out. Yes, you know, that doesn't happen. But there are moments when you give that that generosity echoes the Father's heart for us. I want to encourage you to give. Now you don't have to give to the church, but it's good to give to the church. You may choose to sponsor a child. It's given to God's work. But it's actually between you and God. That's the reason we're not talking about the church finances today. It's the reason I'm not wanting to talk about what we spend the money on or anything. It's all transparent in the the church's budget and ABM stuff anyway. We don't hide any of it. But that's that's not what this is about. This is about you and God and you giving to God because of what he has given to you. What have you got? How do you treat it? What 
are you going to do with it? I want to challenge you right now to just spend a moment and write down, if you feel like the Holy Spirit's spoken to you today, if you feel like there's an area of your life that you can give more of, I want you to just spend a moment and write down what that area is. Maybe I just need to give God back some of my time. Maybe I just need to be more intentional with my relationship with my family or with my friends or in my workplace. Write that thing down. And because it's so easy not to do that, I also would love for you to write somebody's name next to it. And then contact that person because they're going to keep you accountable. I know it'd be really easy not to find a day and make a day for Sabbath. I need to be held accountable to it because that's what we're meant to do. It's, it's not just New Testament, like it's from the very beginning. It's the, the design. But we've lost the habit, so we need to be held accountable to it. It's the same with being a blessing to others in different areas of our life. If you wrote down your to-do thing on your phone, just text that to someone and say, I'll tell you about it later. Do it. Be accountable to it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we know that finances can be a topic that is uncomfortable. Finances can be a topic that is really tough today, knowing that some of us have lost jobs because of COVID. Some of us really live hand to mouth. Some of us really are doing it tough. Lord, I pray that in that, people would hear that it's actually not about the money, that you look at the heart, that you look at the relationship. And I pray that there would be a willingness in there that you would find acceptable in what people are able and willing to give. Lord, I thank you so much for those that give so generously to the work of your ministry across this globe. Lord, I pray that we would be a blessing to others because you have blessed us. We now come to a time of communion. And we read in Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he gave, had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this uh, whenever you drink it, in memory of me. For whenever you drink, uh, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In your own time, may you partake of the elements. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us so much. Right in this moment, we just want to be so thankful for your son and for what he did on the cross, for his body that was broken and his blood that was poured out for us for the atonement of sins. Lord, we pray that we would just be so grateful 
for all that you've given us through your son. In Jesus' name.